Alright, hello and welcome back to the latest edition of the Omni Talk Fast Five. It is February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. And to kick this off, I have one yes. four letter word to say to everyone here. And everyone I don't know listening. if I want to even know what this is. Do you know what it is? It's B R R R. Because it is freaking cold here in Minneapolis. Wow. What a, what a good joke. What's the temperature today, guys? It's like two degrees, right? Actually, it's negative 10. When I took my Is that with or without the windshield? Without. That's uh, without. Without, without, without the windshield? We don't do negative wind- 33 with the windshield. Windshield doesn't yeah. count. Oh, my God. Windshield doesn't count. That's a, that's a made-up number. No, that's I'm, why I was asking. It gives people perspective listening at home of how freaking cold it is here. Yeah. I When I took my son to Mrs. Omnitalk's dental office this morning <laughs> at 7 a.m., uh, he wouldn't even have a conversation with me outside. He's like, I'll talk to you when we get in. And then we ran for the door together. That hand lad hand. is a smart young man. Smart, smart young man. I mean, I was bundled up today. I mean, what'd you, did, you have to, did you have to change the routines at all, Emma, as, as, as you know, you know college, in college? Like, was there anything different? How's the Canada Goose Jacket? Hold I was going to say, a today question. was a good, like, it felt really good for my monetary investment in that coat. <laughs> when you, ha- when you have a $1,000 jacket, you don't worry about how cold it is outside. No. No, because you look good and you look you're good. warm. Yes. And you're right. trendy, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, and you got what is this thing? Can you show for those watching at home? Can you please? And I think if you're if you're just listening to this podcast, you actually might want to tune into the video on YouTube. Can you hold this thing up for everyone to see? What is this that you have here? This is another Costco product. <laughs> Costco is not an official it sponsor came, yet. It, it Did just they not came have down. A bigger water bottle. It How started big is once. That thing? I I have no idea, but um, my husband decided that he would do me a favor. He wants to make sure that I stay hydrated during these very frigid temperatures in Minnesota, and this is what he came home it's with. It's like a 60-ounce bottle these. of water, water bottle. That thing is massive. It is quite large. It you're, is 1.2 liters. You're going to be doing some – that's like curling every time you take a sip. That's where I get these guns from. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Those move guns. Move on. All right. I do want to give a quick word of thanks um, for those listening – Omnitalk has had quite the role from a traffic perspective the last couple of weeks. We have actually almost doubled our highest traffic week ever, both last week, and we're on that pace again this week. I really don't know what it is. Uh, it's just been really exciting to see it. No, I do know what it is. I think what it is is we were uh, correct in predicting some of the news that's been breaking in the last few weeks around Macy's, around Brandless, some of the things that we'll probably talk about here as well. But I just want to give a big shout of thanks to everyone who listens. And I also want to give a big call out and thank you to you, some people that are really important to me uh, as we started this up. And that's Anne, of course, uh, Carter, Emma, yes. the intern, Neil Thomas, if you're listening, thanks for all your help. Kevin Iverson, wouldn't be here without you and all just the great feedback you give to me every single week on social media. And of course, last but not least, Laura Heller, if you're listening too, thank you so much for helping to give us a start in terms of writing and getting our work published. We definitely would not be here without you. And of course, Andy F., good friend out in San Francisco. You're always a great mentor for me too. So I just want to give a big shout out to everyone. means a lot seeing just how much people are coming to the website and engaging with our content. Uh, It's really special. So, all right, we've got a great show today. Uh, We've got news on Starbucks. Uh, We've got news on Kohl's, Pinterest. Four post brandless exactly so many things happening today lots of good stuff so stick around stay tuned lots of good things and i think there's a lot of meat to this discussion as well so 
Let's start first and foremost with Brandless. Now, I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to open up the floor here first. But what about our sponsor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, thanks yeah. guys. I know you're excited to get into the first story, but we can't forget about our sponsor. No. I am, and it's always good to talk about our sponsor. All right. Our sponsor this week, of course, is Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision-based checkout-free system for the grocery industry. Using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms, Trigo converts real-sized stores, introducing a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout-free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. Yay. Okay. Go Trigo. Now, awesome. on to your favorite story. Let's go to the story. Brandless? Story number one. I think everyone's probably heard the news, but story number one, Brandless is closing up shop. Open the floor. What do you guys think? Who wants to go first? Carter? My thing, yeah, you know, my thing is is when you look simply at some of the most basic factors without going into the infrastructure or the way that they were going about things, we hadn't talked about this in like 18 months, whether it was oh. good, bad, or the other way, yeah, right? And sure. so when you look at the momentum and the traction they were getting, if we didn't talk about it both from a professional or from a consumer standpoint, you knew something was bad, and I just didn't think they made they made they didn't make any moves. And I think at the end of the day, seeing this shut down was – not a huge surprise. I, I was kind of surprised they were still doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you hear the move that they're – I think the only thing I remember hearing from when we first started talking about this pretty vociferously back in early spring of 18, I think the only thing we heard was they had a new CEO and they were going to move into CBD, which – you know, We all know is the nail in the coffin, <laughs> yeah, right? It's like the death knell for any any new brand. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ann, what do you, what's your take on this whole thing? I mean, there's nothing really new here. I think, number one um, – you know, there's a surprising amount of not surprising, I guess. There's a huge amount of talent that's going to be coming into the market because of these offices yeah, shutting down. They're like, like good people. The, the quality of people working on that brand was extraordinary. Um, and so I think that's just a, a quick preface to the story that I would say to the retail uh, market who are hiring. Um, we are also trying to help in this effort. So if you're looking for positions or um, we've opened up community memberships to brandless uh, employees who are now out of a job. But I think quality of talent, the people there are smart. The problem, the underlying problem is just that the business model doesn't work. Like the even with the brand tax savings and all these things, like selling $3 products and shipping them and getting them all over the world and, you know, all the costs of customer acquisition when you have a direct-to-consumer brand, like it just, it doesn't, the model doesn't work. Um, it's like calories in, calories out. Like it's just, right. it's not, it's it doesn't analogy. equate. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, that's the the real um, unfortunate thing about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Emily and Carter, you guys are kind of the core demographic here in terms of who this brand was trying to hit. I mean, Emma, like brandless, what does it mean at the U? Or did it mean at the U? Anything? Well, they came to our career fair, like the retail merchandising career fair two years ago. Two years ago. I want to say. And there was a lot of hype around it. People were really excited. For sure. Although I think what happened, and I think that lots of people are also in this boat, is that like I forgot Brandless existed until this story broke. Mm-hmm. Like they just fell off the face of the earth, and they didn't come to the career fair last year. They mm-hmm. just like, so similar to what Carter was saying too. It's just well, no news. Yeah, I mean beyond the inside baseball, like you know when we look at stories that are coming out, when we keep our ear to the ground for with sources, or Emma, even to your point, being in the world of like new and emerging talent coming to the market from being in the school that you're at, like you know myself and my wife, like I mean, new kid, affluent, like ready to buy things, and 
we hadn't been targeted from a consumer standpoint, like much less from a professional standpoint. I mean, no ads, no talk, no value, nothing came in front of us to make a, even a move towards brandless for, like I said, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just think that they fell off the face of the earth and the most important part, and that's in the mind of consumers. And I think it just spelled the demise um, coming. Yeah, I think, you know, for my take on this, too, I think it's important to remember to set the table to go back to the end of 2017, early 2018, when that, you know, career fair was happening. Yeah, this brand was freaking hot. I mean, Retail Dive, again, Retail Dive, you might want to bring in some support on some of these award winners, but Retail Dive named them the Retail Disruptor of the Year back then. And I can remember talking to a number of people, a number of people who are quoted very regularly in many of the things that are published every week saying this was a fantastic idea. And every time I'd sit down and talk to them, I'd say, what do you like about it? And I could never get a great answer. And then as I listened to things and I watched things play out, it just became more and more confusing to me. So I'm going to share an anecdote that I've never shared before. And Ann and I actually had the ch- chance to meet Tina Sharkey, the yeah. founder at uh, at NRF. And mm-hmm. I think it must have been 2018. Ago, yeah. yeah. And it was a really confusing experience for us because, one, we had heard – we had seen the brand tax, which, by the way, I've never understood because, yes, you can take that cost out of your business, but it always has to come back somewhere. It's just the rule of how business models work. So I never bought into that. Then – in between learning of that and this meeting, you start hearing her talk about things like we're going to scale kindness. So it starts to feel like a really big marketing pitch. And then I remember sitting down with them and we had a conversation about whether they should go into stores. And I said point blank, and it, quite frankly, it didn't go over super well. I said, I don't understand why you would go into stores. What's the point? You're now necessitating that I'm going to have another trip. And so it's, you, you, your whole premise is that we don't need all the selection out there in the world. And now you're saying you're going to build a store, but there's things you don't carry that I want as a consumer that every consumer wants. Can't just live my life through brandless. So you're now making my life more confusing and more inconvenient. And so when I came back from that, the reason I share that is it's important because what it, what it saw for me was a, there's a framework for how I look at this because there's so many digitally native brands out there. Really, at the end of the day, they're all one of three things. The first thing, and Carter, you use this word all the time. Are they sizzle? Are they marketing? You can make a lot of money on that. That's what, that's what as seen on TV products are. That's what the pocket hose is and the slap shop and all that stuff. You can just get people behind it and people will buy it and they'll buy into it and you'll make money on it. Second thing is, are you a product company, right? Are you a CPG product company? That's something like a Harry's, right? That's something technically what Casper mattress probably really is. And the third is, are you a retailer, right? Are you something like, like the real real? for mm-hmm. example, in the digitally native brand space. You're one of those three things. Sometimes you can blend the last two a little bit, but you have to be one of those. And the hard part with brandless, ultimately at the end of the day, is what were they when you look at how they were selling themselves and what they were intending to become? The math, the business model just didn't end up lining up to that, and it was easily visible from the beginning. And so all these stories out there to you about how they took too much VC money, and I'm about to get off my soapbox, but all these... Stories about how they took too much VC money and that was the downfall. I honestly think that insults everyone's intelligence. No one forced them to do that. Decisions were made to do that, and there's a whole host of reasons why. But ultimately, it still fundamentally comes down to what are you, what were you trying to do, and is there a business model there, and is there a product market fit there? Story number two. I know. I thought about that one for a long time. I think there's probably a piece coming and there was a lot to get out but i think it's important yeah i i think the the only thing i would 
challenge you on that would be the as seen on TV things. I mean, that was a totally different market and customer acquisition and the whole marketing like that. That is one of I think um, when you're when you're a D2C brand, regardless of how great your brand is, you get the early PR release and sizzle when you come out. But to maintain that is almost impossible unless you have a ton of money behind you too. And I think that you know that's one of the problems that Brandless faced as well. Here is that, or you have a really great product that sustains itself. Sure, yeah. Or at that point, you know, had Brandless known, could they have sold into and become the, instead of Target going after their own $3 product, could they have become that product? Or are they more valuable as a brand to be sold into a larger mass retailer? And that's where it fell down. Because yeah. they're not. Like when you position yourself as the $3 alternative yep. for, you know, just great quality products, that can't sit on a shelf. Sure. That can't sit on the shelf next to the other private labels. And by the way, the marketing handle doesn't work because now all the, progress, all the products are disaggregated from themselves visually in a store. So anyway, a lot there, put it all out there. But hey, it's been a, it's been an important kind of thing that we've been watching for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, and proud of uh, proud of how the t- the look we've taken on it over the last few years. All right, Emma, you want to take us into story number two? Yeah, Starbucks is looking to reimagine its airport format. Starbucks is partnering with OTG, which operates more than 350 eateries and retail concepts in 10 North American airports, to introduce a variety of traditional and experiential locations while exploring new technology to better serve customers anywhere in the terminal. What is this new technology, might you ask? (laughs) So what's really cool about this is that they're going to have pop-up locations that are going to move throughout the airport depending on traffic flow at the biggest gates and whatnot, which is really cool because sometimes you have to walk like half a mile specifically in Chicago O'Hare, if you want to get Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And then there's also rumors that they're going to have the feature to order from outside the airport and possibly pick it up on the inside. That would be so nice. Wouldn't it? I freaking love this. Do you guys love this? I think it's great. You know, and if you look at – I've always – so the Starbucks in the airport is a thing that you kind of look to no matter what airport you're in. It is a source of trust, is a source of comfort, especially when you need it, right? And 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 specifically Starbucks, if you're a business traveler, like it's just the most amazing thing to go and get your Starbucks and you're like on for the day. Um, but as many know, and as this story highlights, a lot of those locations are operated by these larger groups like OTG or whatever that might be, leaving it inherently maybe some of the last ring of, of stores to potentially see some of the innovation like pickup, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been blown away the fact of how for how long their loyalty program and their pay at the point of sale system has worked within those third-party retailers and and how well like i mean the standard consumer will never actually know that no. that starbucks is not a brand-owned store 100 and it's amazing uh, the only thing that i find slightly in conflict with that and have i read a few interviews with the um the otg ceo they are not guaranteeing that the mobile app Ordering will be done through the Starbucks app right now. Which I'd be really curious if Starbucks can allow sometimes, that. Sometimes, wow. sometime this year that will roll out, which for me was like I a don't... huge, like, and even like the reports they were showing show people ordering via the Starbucks app. But yeah. somebody wow. asked that question directly, and he's like, we will have that functionality sometime later this year. Here's which, my thing. Well, at least they're working towards and it. And I think, yeah. we'll, I mean, I think we'll discuss this if it does actually come up. I'd, mm-hmm. I would doubt that Starbucks would allow an ordering experience to happen on any other third party platform, arguably, meaning it would be a subpar experience. Well, I think they are doing that now. In, they like, do it with delivery partners and things. Yeah, like delivery partners. So it does yeah. happen. So it, de- it, depends. it just depends on how. I mean, I for me, it's just these are like 
critical things that I think will impact the, the ultimate success of this rollout, especially since um, OTG is not, this is not an exclusive contract with Starbucks. This is still open. So HMS Host is still going to be operating. But I think the hopefully the idea is that Starbucks creates a platform, a mobile ordering platform or API that's available to all of these third parties that will allow for this kind of ordering experience. overall the airport is a super cool place to play because yes. you have kind of this oh, captive sorry. audience that is all really connected has time on their hands and has a long list of stressful needs yes you know and it's a super cool place we've seen innovation within airports from a couple different stories in the last few months and i think starbucks is really ripe to play in this space and this mm-hmm. idea emma you talk about it's like getting it at your gate like potentially it's ready like i mean this is just the start think of all the other crazy things you could brainstorm in ways that you could make the airport experience better in the name of the brand well, and Anne, you didn't bring this up, but you you went to the Penn Plaza pickup only store with me in New York. Yes, like, like talk. I'm sure the audience would love to hear about that experience because, I mean, the first thing we said to each other would be was, "Damn, it'd be awesome to have this in an oh, airport." An airport right? I mean, sure. tell them how it worked. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's going through the mobile payment or mobile order and payment process. You you just have a Starbucks storefront, and you know the the whole fr- storefront is essentially just a pickup counter. So the people who are working in there, the baristas are 100% focused on connection with the customer and making sure that you get your coffee as quickly as possible, which, you know, seems like a great output for um, the airports. And like Emma said, I think that's what the purpose of these carts that they're planning to roll out would be is just the pickup. So they're going gate to gate and you've ordered ahead of time and then they're just going out like delivery vehicle style. But I mean, I think Carter's right. I think the bigger story here is that, you know, Starbucks has always been one of the front runners with their pickup store in New York with this concept in airports. But ultimately, the face of the airports that we see across the country is going to dramatically change with technology. We're going to see, you know, Zippin's doing a pilot this year in airports with their checkout free store, uh, their Cube. Um, that ma- the mall concept in the airport is ripe for any kind of guide shop format. Like I think things are going to be changing there quite frequently um, over the course of the next year, even. Yeah, absolutely. I also just think it's a smart business move for Starbucks. I mean, I think Emma, you hit on it a little bit just to come back to it to close this out. But there's got to be a lot of pent up demand for coffee in airports when you think about gate locations and the time people have before their flights. There's got to be a lot of people who want coffee that aren't getting coffee every day. 30% of flights take off before 10 a.m. Good to know. I did not know that. That's so a good. That's good... the that's the surge time for the airport Starbucks. Good little tidbit. Yeah, right. Cliff and then, then you've got here. that too in terms of the bottlenecks that come with that too. But yeah, I mean, yeah. if I was Dunkin' Donuts, I'd also be looking at this pretty hard. It's think a good of the way del- to change behavior. Think too. of the Delta or American Airlines partnership. Have your Starbucks ready for you as you walk oh, on the plane. Man. So nice. Love it. How hard could that be, Carter? Yeah, better than that that's water brilliant. that you use for coffee on the flights, which is <laughs> blah, blah. Anyway, all right, and let's keep going. Okay, story number three was going to be the Coles shakeup in the C-suite. Um, but Wait, are you calling an audible? I'm calling an audible. What? No Late one... breaking news. We're not doing Coles? We're not going to do Coles. Well, what although, was Coles? Although I was contemplating quitting my job at Omnitalk to start going to uh, struggling retailers and renaming their uh, growth strategies every year because I feel like this career is one that, you know, Carter and I, maybe we should just leave Can you imagine back. how much money they're spending on rebranding the growth strategy Un- that won't end up working? Unbelievable. Right. So Kohl's is moving. Right. They're moving their new corporate strategies now called the Growth Agenda, formerly the Greatness Agenda. I'm taking credit for that, by Polaris, the way. Polaris, North Star. I mean, you guys, this is- I am is... taking credit for this because two weeks ago I emailed Coles and I said what is the greatness agenda and they weren't sure what I was asking them and then I had to follow up and say 
what is it? And they're like, oh, it's something we reintroduced in 2014 that Michelle Gass just happened to talk about on stage. Oh, and by the way, a week later, now it's changed. Yes. I am taking credit for that. So, so we're not talking about Kohl's 250 layoffs and change to their merchandising uh, C-suite positions and uh, senior level leadership. We are going to talk about Dirty Lemon and Walmart Dirty Lemon. A partnership. Okay. Um, as I've got to give credit to- And it's going out on to, her own. To Hallie Le Sav- Le Sauvage from Morning Brew, who maybe has written the best headline I've ever seen. She talks about this story, and her headline was, From the Window to the Wall, Mart. Yeah, I don't, I don't, why is that great? I don't get My it. God, you guys, Little John and the East Side Boys, come on, From the Window to the Wall, Oh. I can't sing the rest of it. I was going to say, what's the next line, Ann? <laughs> oh, okay. But, All right. uh, Got it. but Hallie, way to go. Nice that was work. amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, Dirty Lemon is now uh, in a partnership with Walmart. They are they started with a uh, 1,000 non-traditional retailers. They were selling Dirty Lemon products in Equinox, Berry's Boot Camp, among others. And What is Dirty Lemon to start? Oh, sorry. Like, Dirty yeah, Lemon is a uh, was direct to consumer order via text water. That's essentially just a 16 ounce bottle bottle of water with some lemon extract and then some other things added inside that they sell for ten plus dollars a bottle. Yeah, the flavors are like rose, and rose water, rose water. Yeah, not rose and charcoal and things like Chris that. Chris puts right? rose in his dirty lemon, but that's another story. <laughs> that's right. We don't have time for that. That's it, that's it. And they're um, how much? They're ten bucks. They're right? ten dollars. But uh, now that they're going to be putting these uh, into Walmart, they are going to be selling for six ninety nine a bottle um, in Walmart. Still the highest priced beverage that Walmart will sell um, in the category. In that category, uh, yes, yes. That is correct. Um, and so basically, Dirty Lemon is saying, you know, we saw all the success selling in smaller retailers. They, you know, went from 10% of the revenue to 50, over 50% of revenue just in the last year selling in those markets. They've cut all of their customer acquisition um, spending and advertising, and now they're moving into to sell in Walmart. So that's a pretty big announcement. I think. What do you guys have to say about that? Yeah, well, I mean, what do you think of this move, Carter? You've you followed know, this let brand me, for let a me long loose. time. Let me loose. Yeah, go. Uh, all right, so they cut their customer acquisition model. I have experienced this firsthand. Four weeks ago, New York City, we were sitting in the Tribeca store. Guess what didn't work? The text message system. Nothing was working. The entire conference was trying to text Dirty Lemon for water in the Tribeca store, at the conference, etc. Some people got responses up to 72 hours later. People like myself have never actually heard back from the brand ever again. Are you serious? Yeah. This it is, worked well for me when I did yeah. it. So, great. But if you're not seeing consistency, yeah. we're going to have some like larger issues here. Now, the other thing is if we look at this brand play, it's super confusing, right? So super you say confusing. $10, $12 bottle of water who is ridden the hype, ridden the sizzle, as we talked about, <laughs> about <laughs> being this premium brand all via text messages with the elite to make you beautiful. And what retailer do we pick for distribution? Walmart? Okay, so... At first blush, obviously, this makes absolutely no sense, right? You're saying we're cheapening the brand, we're bringing the price in half, and you're going to go after the Walmart consumer for a $12 bottle of water. However, we have to give a little bit of credit to the people who are invested in this, and this is why. You've ridden the brand for five-plus years. You've had a huge stake, a huge investment from Coca-Cola, and you're getting pressure to make distribution happen. You're not going to be able to ride this hype forever. They were looking at the board and what they had in front of them to make quick money, get out, and get onto the next thing. And Walmart probably had a pretty big chunk of change on the table to make this happen. And they saw the potential, and they went for it. Who cares if you're discounting the brand? Who cares if you're cutting it in half? Who cares if you're alienating the premium customer that you've built your entire brand on? 
because you're having a huge payday now and you can look to what's next. You don't have to ride the shallow hype that Dirty Lemon has been for the last five years. Well said, man. Go back to what I said in the beginning. What are you? What are the three things? You're sizzle, you're a product, or you're a retailer, right? What is this? They made a sizzle into a product and they sold and they don't care what happens next because they're going on to the next thing. Exactly. And then the question becomes, to your point that you raised to me when you said, okay, let me play the other point of view here. What is that time horizon? Because as you talk, Carter, what I start to think about, this is a shorter time horizon. It's much more in the... It's much more in the like pocket hose kind of thing. Let's ride this thing as long as we can, which mm-hmm. generally those categories of product, you're talking three to five years. Because what is flavored water, okay? They're bringing the price point down to going to Walmart. It's $6.99. What is flavored water? Well, to be honest, it's been around since clearly Canadian. And I can still get that <laughs> before, at and so Before, LaCroix what, was there before clearly Canadian. Right, like it's, yes. it's there. So yes. like, okay, you're now saying I'm going to take this thing that had this brand cachet, and you guys, from a marketing standpoint, now it's six ninety nine. You're going to Walmart, so now you care about national distribution, and you've got to pay that off. The price of that's going to come down over time. And mm-hmm. by the way, the consu- that which means the cachet of it's going to go down. By the way, the consumer is going to get the joke, and the prices are going to gravitate, and they're probably going to end up going to other products over time, or there's going to be other entrants that try to do a similar thing. So this thing is what it is. The other thing that bothers me with this story is you go to the trade show conferences and this company talks about how they're a text-based commerce platform. That no longer comes into play. But that's what they what used to cut about. through the clutter exactly. of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and I was about, when it actually worked, I was all about it, right? Like Me it was too. an incredible experience, but it was also a really, they were at the front end of this buzzword and they were able then to use that as a way to get credit. They That's how they got all their press. They're a $12 bottle of water, yep. but they were text-based. That's what we always talked about. Yep, I'm, and so, I think, I'm a little sad. And they realized that there wasn't really a ton of innovation happening. Everyone's jumping on the text bandwagon currently, especially in the DTC market. So they realized it's like quickly discounting or they're quickly not being the only one and they realize they have to sell out sell all the brand is really hot and move on to the next thing yeah i will say this too since we did audible on kohl's i think the kohl's and also the bed bath and beyond stories are interesting this week so kohl's number of defense terms of their design department just so people understand like you're going to change that out it's going to take a minimum of nine months to get have those people come in, do that work, and re-engineer that product. So you're still looking at a pretty big lag on what Kohl's can do. Same with Bed Bath & Beyond. Let's all not jump ship on Bed Bath & Beyond right now. There's no way you can turn that around that fast. For him to try to bring in, Mark to bring in all of those people to change that ship around, again, it's going to take nine months to a year. So any expectations before that just don't make any sense. All right, Carter, let's go to the next story. (laughs) Story Story number four. four. All right, the hidden giant Pinterest obviously had an incredible holiday quarter, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone here in the room. Uh, But ultimately, the story this week is that the social media company launched what they call a verified merchant program to help shoppers find and buy from trustworthy brands. And I'll talk about why this is so important because I think we have talked about this in the past. But uh, Pinterest has set up uh, basically set up this whitelist program or waitlist program, which will require sellers to share clear shipping policies, customer service contact information, along with other things to really help that shopping experience that they're investing so heavily into. Um, so the whole idea here is, is that I'm going to look for inspiration. I'm going to look for new products. I'm going to find things that fit my lifestyle, fit the look I'm going for. And now with this new program, I'm going to be able to purchase it from a brand that I know and trust, not some shady third-party reseller or be confused at where I should actually buy it. I think this is huge, both for, for a couple of reasons. I think we knew commerce was going to be a huge deal uh, for Pinterest, specifically for their um, just both the, like, the visual nature of the platform, but also their recommendation engine and how people are using it. 
they're now going the next level and saying, hey, like Amazon's starting to maybe nip at our heels. We're starting to see Amazon continue to grow. What's Amazon's biggest weakness? Uh, counterfeits, quality of goods, where these things are coming from, et cetera, right? So we're going to hit them where they're the weakest, and we're going to create a verified program that ensures that our customers, our users, trust this platform to get a product from the brands they know, trust, and love. And even if there is a new brand, this program will allow the brand to instill trust through providing customer contact information. All of a sudden, we're going to start looking to Pinterest more and more because we know we're getting the products that we love and that are of quality. And I think that was a huge move on their part. And I think we'll continue to see their growth in commerce accelerate in the next year. This is probably the biggest story on the list, technically. What are you guys Pinterest shoppers? Emma, Emma, you are. You're shaking your head vociferously. I've never actually bought something on Pinterest because, or user, I should say. But yeah, uh, but I've used Pinterest since I was like 13, and it has just gotten better and better. And when you have like the verified merchants program, that incentivizes me to actually go through and make a purchase, not just look for inspiration, but like actually mm -hmm. go through the process. Because now I know that I can trust, and I trust that Pinterest is going to do a good job of it. But I actually trust that I'm going to get a good product. Yeah, and you do this too. Are you? How big in the Pinterest are you? Well, I. It depends on the time and your life, and I think for okay. me, that's really where like this whole social commerce trend and, and Pinterest really taking advantage of it in the way that we're talking about today. I mean, I think you think about the the um, headspace that you're in when you're shopping on like Instagram versus Pinterest, and Pinterest is much more focused on the products themselves, not mm -hmm. like how the brand how the product looks in a brand image that's representing mm -hmm. the brand mm -hmm. right now at least and so I think that being able to have confidence in the purchases that you're making directly from um, from your Pinterest board, especially when you're in the mindset of like building a nursery or redoing a home or something like that, like those are areas and times where you are motivated to make a purchase right there. Mm -hmm. It's not impulse buying and discovery like Instagram. It's like, I've got, this is on my board. I'm buying all these things. And to have access directly to in platform or very quickly and closely to platform to buy these things mm -hmm. right away is, is really smart and they just reached 335 million active users so it's an it's amazing you got to think about that there's a lot of people using this platform so once commerce is able to much more easily happen um it's gonna explode i can remember talking about the same thing like with house back when i was running home furnishings for target.com yep. this was 2013 there's something here and it's actually a good segue into our final story which is you know how has discovery changed in retail discovering of products whether in the digital or the physical world. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people, like you said, Anne, in certain use cases, you go, you f try to find what you want to You want to discover, you want to browse, you want to look, things mm -hmm. for your home, different life stages. If you can make commerce in that very easily, I can easily see the click happening there because it's a much it's a much more convenient and user friendly experience than trying to do that via Amazon. I just I'm I'm curious when verified sellers are going to come across platform beyond Pinterest. Like this idea of we've had verified accounts forever, like on Instagram, the blue check or whatever it might be is huge. Now, what like what's holding Facebook back from verifying sellers on Instagram to give and what is that list and how much weight does that verification hold? I think is the key. Yeah, there's not. And I think it's also what's the total user experience design for the product categories you're trying to sell. But that was going to be my point too. And then we'll move on to the last story, which was if I was Pinterest or if I actually was a retailer, I'd be trying to sign up almost exclusive partnerships in this mm -hmm. and try to do it in such a way where it's non-competitive. So like Wayfair, for example, Wayfair would be the mass seller. Then you get some high-end people to come in here and be the high-end sellers for whatever is being displayed and shown. And you just lock that thing up, and then it's a really convenient experience across the entire range. Now, does that limit the assortment? Maybe, but I think there's things and territory to explore there. All right, 
last story. We think this one's important, and I think this one we're going to spend some time on too. I know we're running a little bit long on the show, but I think it's important because I think it's important for the future. So I don't know if you read the news this week, but Forpost, which was a reinvention of the department store, has now closed its doors at the Mall of America as well. Now, the question I have for you guys, now this was, we did a story, a feature on in Forbes on this. We did a video on it as well, if you want to check that out. This is the idea, brainchild of Mark Germazian, created the concept. He's now moving on to take on a new position of leadership as the co-CEO of American Dream. I got to give him, I got to give all the people, Beta, whether it's Neighborhood Goods, got to give them a lot of credit for what they're trying to do in terms of the reimagination of the department store. So I have two questions really on this. What does this say about the reimagination of the department store. Do people want a smaller store? And then two, what role does the Mall of America play in the success and or failure of this effort? I'm curious what you guys think. Well, I'm laughing because I have the exact same question written down to Did ask you? you? You did? Um, yeah, because I- well, What you do know, you think? I don't know. I mean, the only thing that I think- Especially with that Pinterest thing we just talked about. Yeah. The thing that, that separates, you know, neighborhood goods from four posts, you know, neighborhood goods has $25.5 million in VC backing for their concept, um, whereas four posts, I think- Which, as we know from Brandless, means nothing. Right. At the end of the day, it's the concept that matters. Yes, it is. But I think it also depends on who's on the team and who's funding things and where the future and what decisions can be made about the, what the future of that department- future department store looks like um do you want a smaller department store let me just put it candidly point blank all three of you guys does a smaller department store mean something to you uh i think that if you're putting that it depends on what the footprint is how the footprint is serving the people like nordstrom local yes that makes sense that's a that's not the and not I'd argue that's not a smaller department store it's a, yes it's a completely different experience emma what do you think and does it matter where it is? That was my point with the Mall of America, too. Yeah, I'm going to take on that question. Okay. But it was interesting because I worked at Mall of America when Four Posts opened. You did, like right on the same like level and corridor, Yeah, literally right? right on the corner. And none of my employees, or not my employees, my coworkers, knew what, <laughs> <laughs> knew what it was. And it was interesting to just observe people walk by it because people right. would look at it. And then just keep going. Nobody knew there was a coffee shop in there. And nobody, like, the windows never really had clear signage. And the displays in the windows never made sense. And my argument is that just this was not for the Mall of America average consumer. They're coming to get those big-name retailers with massive stores. They're not coming in for a new reimagination of a department store with, like, hip and locally sourced little goods. Mm -hmm. Like, they came, they're coming for Nike. They're coming for things like that. They're coming for the mecca, the, yes. the overt gesture of what the brand is ultimately about. Things that they can't just see or find on the internet, but things when they go to that place, they want to experience it. Yeah, here's the thing that kind of confuses me about all this. I was a huge fan of Four Posts since the sign opened. We did a podcast there. Like I spent right, some time there. Every time I went that, to the yeah. mall, like um, we would go because I think it hit the rubric. Like it made sense across the board. It, it was, you know, these DTC companies are trying to get physical footprint, not only for media, but to have people physically experience their product. They couldn't get locked into huge lease terms. So what they did, they put flexible lease terms, small footprints, a pretty well-designed experience in a very highly trafficked mall. Mm -hmm. Like on paper, that seems absolutely amazing. And so when I look at this story, it's like, you're kind of frustrated, confused of like, well, what's wrong? Like, what is this missing? Right. But as you guys are talking, I, I keep putting myself in the mind of the consumer. You step in that door and you look across, you're like, 
do I need new underwear? Me undies, right? Do I need new underwear? Do I want a Bluetooth speaker? Do I need a new water bottle or some new socks? Nope. And even if I do, maybe I don't like, like, I mean, you had to have such a targeted reason to go in there. And unless there's a reason you need to go check out the pattern or the style of the me undies, like there's no reason you would actually go to the mall to see that. Right. So I think it, what, what, what thirst was it quenching for the consumer? And I, I just think rarely were people going to go and just simply browse because the browsing experience, unlike going into a Nordstrom or a Target is pretty limited, right? You only have at most 15 products that are all very unique and specific in their own right. And so really like, what is the point of it in the, in the first place? And so, um, yeah, I think we can blame promotion. I think we can blame all oh, the windows didn't look right, et cetera. But I think it's bigger than that. I think we're looking at what is the real need it was serving. Um, and is it, and, and what was it? Now, you look at other things like show fields or whatever, and, and they're going big in the holistic experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we want to be there. Loud music. All the staff are actors and actresses right. who are, you know, and, and like I still think it's that theater based. they're hitting some of their more struggles. But you're going there just to hang out, similar to some of the aura we see around maybe the major brand meccas. You want to be there to be seen. It's cool to kind of see the new stuff. You're going to get a cup of coffee. I just don't think that, A, the Mall of America shopper, appreciates or would like that um to i just think within a corner store that's really hard to do unlike a store in fifth ave in, in new york city so you know it, a like street I, level store right exactly a standalone yeah. store um so there really is no insider like accurate answer that i conveyed in the last two minutes of my soapbox i think it's just confusion because as we look at like i said it checked the boxes it seemed to do everything that we really wanted it to do but yet it didn't overcome that threshold of consumer need or providing value in some way well the really important thing that i think you pointed out for me carter and saying that is that you know the department stores and that's why i went to nordstrom right away in the small format they're still serving a need like i know i'm going to be able to shop things that's where my at head's nordstrom to go. and so it's like going into these stores well it's cool and they're giving everybody a chant these d2c brands to be in there i would argue it's probably better for the d2c brands to do a short-term lease on their own in their own inline store in the mall than it would be to be part of this configuration because the merchandising set in there isn't giving people a a need-based reason to go in there in the first place. So discovery happening, you know, Glossier being in a Nordstrom or something like that makes much more sense because people are going to get, you know, new shoes for spring or Easter outfits or whatever, and then they happen upon these new brands, not the other way around where it's, there's no reason to go into that store and certainly the D2C brands like everybody else we've been talking about this podcast are having problems with that customer acquisition and getting their names out there yeah I think that's it I think that's 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 what I just learned from this conversation which is why I wanted to have this even though we're running along and I appreciate you guys sticking with us for those that that have I just think this is really important I think what I learned from that is that if you're gonna do this Mm mm-hmm and I don't even know if I have a definitive answer now, if you need to be street level, if you need to be in a mall. But the most important thing is people need to know what to expect from you every time they go in there. Yeah. And so the key thing is it has to be merchandised. It has to be merchandised with a point of view that people can count on and they know what they know what they can expect. And so that's where, and we've talked about this with Beta and I'm sure with Neighborhood Goods, it's a similar thing. I've been there. I've seen that store. If you're on the leasing model and you're playing that game, you've still got to be very coordinated in terms of how you're consistently merchandising that store throughout every season of the year. So I know what I want to come back for. The, the factor you said, Carter, about it's like the cool place to hang out, that goes away. That goes away. Because like, there's something like that popping up all the time. But if you're going to be a consistent retail presence, 
you have to take that really solid point of view about merchant merchandising about this is what we are this is our price point this is what we stand for that's why you're right Nordstrom's is a great example because they're still doing that well and there's still that element um, and so I just I think the hard part is that's really hard to pull off too with these brands that aren't ready for prime time there's a reason they're not in Nordstrom's mm -hmm. there's a reason they're not in the bigger stores because they're not ready they don't have the awareness and so if you're playing off of those guys it's going to be really hard to tell that story each yeah. and every year fascinating discussion it's going to be really fun to watch showfields too just announced a new store in miami hoping i can get down to check that out too pretty soon so especially today it sounds great yeah right let's go right plane trip uh but again thank you so much uh if you haven't had the chance we'll close it up here if you haven't had a chance definitely subscribe to, uh, or follow us on on linkedin i should say we do a lot of great content specifically there on linkedin from a social media perspective emma does an awesome job with our top talk every day and of course like review and subscribe to our podcast if you have a chance if you haven't done it please do so leave us a review click the subscribe button and also be sure to head over to our youtube page where you can see our video of the fast five each and every week and be sure to subscribe there every little difference makes a difference and it really really i cannot emphasize this enough it goes an incredibly long way to helping us provide the type of content that we provide each and every week to you guys on behalf of everyone here in the interest of time be careful and this week especially stay warm out there